severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello and welcome to the first Just Get a Real Job of 2022, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. A very, very happy new year to all of our listeners across the world. I don't know if it's too late to say happy new year. It's the 17th of January, so yeah, it probably is too late to say that, but We'll just go with it. But welcome back to the podcast. We're very, very happy to be back. It was nice to have a couple of weeks off, but you know, we're back and we're ready to go. And we've been recording lots and lots of conversations for the next run. And we have got some brilliant, brilliant guests, some brilliant conversations coming up. So it's very, very exciting. And we've got another brilliant episode in store for you today as well, of course. But we'll get into that in a sec. Firstly, I just actually wanted to say that my wonderful colleagues at STV Drama have been working very, very hard on a show for the last two or three years and that show is now out and that came out a few weeks ago and it's called Screw and it's a prison drama and it's it's on channel four every week at 9 p.m but the whole series is actually now out on all four so it's very very good tv so if you haven't seen that I'd strongly encourage you to go away and watch it at some point point. Um, and I'm not sponsored by this this is just me saying that on my own accord but honestly I know the people that have worked on it and my colleagues have put a lot, a lot of work into it and it's a it's a very, very good show. So be sure to give that a watch. It's very, very good. And also, as always, if you're a new listener or if you have been listening to the podcast for a few months but haven't caught up on all of our episodes, this is, of course, episode 63. We have a very, very big back catalogue now of brilliant conversations with various guests from across the creative industries. So be sure to delve back into that and listen to some older episodes if you enjoy today's one or if you haven't heard them all yet. But I suppose I'll stop rambling on. I forgot how much I ramble on this podcast, but you know, it's the first intro of the year. I'm warming up. But we have a great episode to kick off 2022. And joining us on the podcast this week is the brilliant Luke Halgarden, who is the creative director of the Revel Puck Circus Company. And we actually recorded this last July. So it was a while ago. But the reason this episode has taken so long to come out was when we recorded it, Luke was actually on site on a circus at the time and he didn't have a very good Wi-Fi connection. We had a lot of problems with the recording, but we managed to keep going. We got Luke to record some of it on his phone and our wonderful editor, Elliot Mitchell, has done a great job of, of putting it all together. And I really, really appreciate Luke being so patient in what was quite a disruptive episode to interview. There was a lot of stopping and starting, but I'm glad we stuck with it because it's a brilliant conversation and it was really, really interesting to speak to someone like Luke who works in circus, which is an area of the creative industries we've not, never had on the podcast and we don't know a lot about. So this is a brilliant conversation. Really, really appreciate Luke's time uh, and I'm glad it's finally coming out. And it's a brilliant episode to kick off the year. So hope you enjoy. Hi, Luke. How's it going? Lovely to meet you. Hi, Jamie. Yeah, good to meet you too, man. How's it going? Very, very nice. I think we had some slight confusion um, when we started the interview because you'd actually listened to a podcast called Get a Real Job about, about like, the, the interview was about racing or something. I was very confused, but I'm glad uh, we got we got there in the end. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the guy, it was an American guy. And so, I mean, it's quite refreshing to hear a Scottish voice instead of an American one. So, yeah, <laughs> no, very happy to uh, not be talking about race cars. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, but this is a really good person to have on the podcast because you are like involved in circus stuff. You're the artistic director of the Revel Puck Circus. And like, I'm sure you've got lots to say. We haven't had anyone from that sort of area on the podcast yet. So it's quite an interesting part of the arts to talk about. So I'm quite excited to, to get into that. Great. I feel honoured to be your first circus guest. I'm glad, I'm glad. But the sort of, the first question we ask on the podcast is is sort of like, what are your earliest creative memories? So do you remember as like a kid and stuff, like getting into sort of the arts or like potentially circus or anything like that? Do you remember like what age you were, what sort of things were going on there? Yeah, so well, like I, I got into it because pretty dyslexic and have like dyspraxia and stuff as well. And so I, I was like bouncing off the walls at school and my a friend of my mum said, take him to this circus class in Hackney uh, in East London, the National Centre of Circus Arts, which used to be called Circus Space. And so I started going there on a Sunday and just like really fell in love with it, I guess. I think it was like the whole, I don't know, like particularly juggling. So I'm sort of primarily a juggler. That kind of just like started me going basically. And I really fell in love with it first as just sort of a practice and a training thing. And sort of, I think there was like a lack of competition in the space. So we were a bunch of weird kids, basically, who all got sent to this like strange kind of hippie circus space. And it was just a real sense of community and a real sense of like clearly progressing. Whereas in school, it felt like I never was. And it was all written down on paper. It was, and I was never a very sporty person either. Sort of having this like one line of being able to just see myself get get better at something really drove me drove me into it and then alongside that yeah I think the sense of community and circus is really valuable and really important to me and sort of the acceptance of everyone from anywhere to be involved in it is something that really drew me in and then in terms of sort of realizing that I really wanted to firstly be on stage and then to be making my own work I think probably the big turning point for me in terms of making my own work was when I saw Jerusalem by Jez Butterworth that my grandma took me to see which is yeah crazy crazy lucky to have a grandma who would take like a 12 year old kid to go and see a play like that but yeah seeing that play I think really was just a turning point for me into being like the way that it touched me and the way that I saw how it touched so many people it really just drove me to be like I want to be making making my own work and so yeah that kind of continued and I guess those yeah that's kind of my earliest memories I guess of like yeah. the really kind of hit home yeah Mm. Well, to touch on what you said about being dyslexic and dyspraxic and stuff, I'm also dyslexic and dyspraxic, and 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 I've you know it's interesting how like things like getting into the arts is such a, a help for that when because I totally relate to that sort of frustration at school and not maybe feeling like you're good at things academically and then not maybe being the best at sports and then I find like for me it was sort of drama and music that I like found that sort of felt like a, sa- a safe space almost or like a, a community is like a great word for it because you finally you like feel like you'd finally found like a sort of a place where people accept you you're not being judged and you can sort of explore like that area so it's really interesting to hear you say that you sort of had a similar experience with like juggling and circus and stuff yeah I mean I think it's so it's so key to why so many of me and my peers kind of got into it I mean in this show there's like five of us that were all on that course together and so it works you know like we all started off in a like youth program just doing it on a Sunday and slowly progressed and then all went to professional circus schools and are now all in the industry so I don't know I think yeah it's just it's so important that we keep those things alive across the arts you know that kids have access to these things and not just on a level of like come and do it and come and try it out but like no if you want to kind of progress in this you really can and there's space for it and there's funding for it and we can take these kids seriously in their aspirations yeah I hope that can continue 100% yeah that's like the sort of 
well, that's part of the whole ethos of like just got a real job it's like we're trying to build this sort of community of creatives and also like give creative people who are at the start of their career like a, a platform to maybe find things out about what they really want to work and give them advice and things so 100 it's so important to have those those pathways and things in place but another question we asked sort of to follow up to my first which i really enjoy asking but is how did sort of growing up in north london and things like how did coming from that area sort of have an influence on you as a creative person and like what was it like growing up there as someone who wanted to, to work in the arts i think like I, I feel so privileged to have been able to grow up in london like i think just as a city and i think anyone from sort of a major city would agree like the access that you have to to the arts is just amazing i mean it really is incredible and i think the internet is probably helping people who aren't from those sort of like central hubs of culture to access it more but I mean you know we were we were able to go and see lots of shows with school and like you know when my like circus was just one of the things that like happened to be happening in London that like my mum could say oh yeah let's you know let's take him to that and see see how that goes I think that the like the diversity within London is just amazing. Like multiculturalism is thriving here and is such a like beautiful part of our city. And I think it really grounds everyone in it to remind themselves how big the world is because of this like microcosm that is in this city. Yeah, growing up in North London, I mean, you've got like amazing access to the arts and like spaces like uh, the Roundhouse Theatre in Camden was like, a huge sort of part of my growing up being able to go and see shows there and also they had like in the summer and stuff access to classes where you paid a pound and you could go and like use their recording studios or go use their video editing studios or you know get like just taught about a multi multitude of different things in this space and so as a kid when you've got like very little to do and you're sort of like fumbling around going you know being able to go somewhere and pay a pound to access that kind of stuff is just it's really incredible and then yeah I grew up in Golders Green in North London which is like a Jewish area of the city and I'm from a Jewish family as well and I think that sort of the humor and like mm. embracing of community again within Jewish culture and within my within my family I think really influenced my growing up as well yeah yeah so yeah growing up in a Jewish family with this sort of self-deprecating humor that's always constant there's no one better to laugh at than yourself I think really feeds into my personal artistic practice and just sort of I think the attitude that I try and kind of have in in the creation space as well when we're working with artists and technicians and everyone and I hope that that kind of feeds into the work as well well. No, definitely. Like being able to have that humility and like being able to laugh at yourself and not take it too seriously. Obviously, taking it seriously when it needs to is important as well as an artist, but definitely really valid. No, the, the thing about hometowns is I love asking this question on the podcast because there's such a, a range of answers, like people from so many different areas. And no, it's, it's interesting because like the thing you said about access is, is interesting as well because I come from like a sort of town, so we didn't have quite as, as much access. But like every time we sort of interview somebody from London or things, they, they do often talk about how it really helped having access to those. Uh, spaces so I mean I think something that's important is just get making sure that all areas of the of the UK can eventually have access to these spaces and I guess what you said about online stuff and um, hopefully will make a huge difference as well yeah I think so and I think part of well I mean a big reason for our company existing and the reason that we you know we tour in a big top tent and we try and go to communities that don't have access to the arts I mean we're in East London now but I mean there's a theatre that's being made that quite close to here but that isn't up yet and it's gonna open in like 2024 I think and so part of our mission with the Revel Park Circus and with this like ridiculous thing of touring in a big top tent is to try and go to those communities and to give people the opportunity to access 
shows and to access art yeah definitely because i do remember as a kid and stuff like the circus would like tour and it would like come to town for maybe like once a year or something and it would like be quite a big event like you'd maybe go and, it'd maybe be there for like a week and like lots of people would want to go and see it so i suppose like yeah that only my only real memory of the circus is either going to like a fun fair or something or it coming to town like once a year yeah yeah, yeah. i mean circus has got a long history and we're sort of trying to embrace that history and embrace that culture of the sort of itinerant nomadic culture of circus and kind of present it in a in a new and different way i guess holding on to all the all the good things of the past and trying to embrace uh, the future as well yeah no definitely we've got some more interesting questions to sort of to ask you about circus as we go on but one of my favorite questions on the podcast to ask is do you have like a favorite word or phrase from where you're from oh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i can only think of rude ones now no that's fine oh we'd had we'd had plenty of rude ones on this so feel free to have plenty of rude ones uh (laughs) i like in like britishness in general they're like all right all right and just that we can keep saying that back and forth for forever and that you just say it to random strangers as well like giving someone a nod and being like you're right and yeah i mean that a, yeah that's a good one we do that we do even that that's re, you know that's in scotland as well that's a thing so i think that is like a, a very uk wide like one yeah all right <laughs> it's quite a good one isn't it um, so when you're like in high school and stuff and like towards the end of that and like when you're deciding that you want to maybe pursue like working in circus and working in that area as like a career and things and like juggling and things how did you feel that people viewed that as normal did you feel like a lot of, did you feel supported or did you feel like it was a bit of an unusual choice to make I mean, I think, yeah, it's pretty, it, it was taken as a bit of a kind of surprise by people, I guess, kind of, it's something that was seen as a bit of a hobby. I mean, I was quite lucky. I've been doing it from like such a young age, well, not such a young age, but you know, from like before I was 10, that all of my peer group and like friends and that kind of knew that I was doing this weird circus thing on the side. And then my family kind of knew about it as well. And then I failed my AS levels really spectacularly and was kind of just like, partying too much and not really focusing on school and also I think like the dyslexia was really hitting home at that point and I didn't have any passion for it either so I I, yeah I failed them pretty spectacularly and then luckily I went to I was like visit go and see a physio because I used I have I had problems with my wrists I went to see a physio bumped into someone from circus space woman called Ira Gibson who I have to be forever thankful for bumping into her on the street she was like hey how's it going and then she was like hey oh we're doing a we're starting a BTEC in circus from like this September I think you should do it and at this point I think I'd gotten like a F a D and a C in my AS levels and there was like I'd basically be able to go on to do one A level which wouldn't kind of yeah I didn't know what I was going to do and so I had this like chat with her and then went back to my parents house and was like yeah I'm going to do this BTEC in circus and I think they took it you know a bit they were a bit cautious about it uh, understandably for sure like I had just been sort of yeah messing around in school and partying a lot and not taking anything very seriously but I think that you know they saw that I was passionate about it so I did a year on that BTEC which uh, it was the first year the BTEC was running so I mean the course was like ideal for people like me and for a lot of us on the on the course where it was like we were in this like halfway space of like what do we do we kind of want to do circus but we're too young to kind of go on to like train professionally so it really kind of hit the nail on the head for a lot of us and then from there I got onto the degree course so they run like a three-year degree course at the National Centre for Circus Arts in Shoreditch where I'd done all my sort of use training and I think once I got into that 
like the perception for people kind of changed i think it's particularly for like my family who i don't know i think yeah i think for my folks and for my family to be able to say that i was going off to like a university gave it a bit of bit of credence i guess to a degree and then yeah so i did three years three years there and then in my third year we went and like the school paid for some of us to go and do a, a workshop like a week-long kind of residency workshop at uh, circus schools in France. And I went to do that at a school called uh, Le Lido, which is in Toulouse. And it kind of just like totally blew my mind. And I think at 21 in that third year, I really thought I knew a lot about circus. And then I went there and realised how little I really understood or knew. And so then I auditioned, I auditioned for that school and then got in, which was amazing. I mean, it's like yeah it's crazy the school is in france they pay for the whole school so it's all free and the government pay you to do the school as well so it was kind of like a really golden opportunity for me and i think yeah going it was a lot of education five years doing learning about circus before being in the industry but it really it really paid off for me yeah no i imagine like you sort of need that education though like you you really like would have learned like how it is to sort of work in that industry because it's such a quite a complex sort of area to work and like you really have to know your skills as and understand it I imagine yeah it's mad and I mean it's such a like broad thing as well there's so many areas of circus I guess like in in any art form there is but yeah I think it was it was good for me I don't think it's particularly necessary to be honest you know I think like it worked definitely for me and to have that sort of like structure and space to kind of explore but I mean a lot of like a lot of my friends didn't do a circus school and just got into the industry through sort of sheer like pushing and you know like when finishing school and just going out and hunting for jobs and learning on the road and learning as they go uh, definitely is another way to do it that I think is has just as much impact and does it certainly doesn't get you in as much debt as three years of paying for a university course on a student loan does but yeah it was it was great for me particularly the time in France to just have space and time to explore and I think that like the ability to to just be thinking about why you're doing this and how you want to be perceived on stage versus how you are perceived on stage and embracing the how you are as opposed to how you want to be, I think was one of the most valuable lessons for me in terms of creating work. Definitely. And the thing is, right, on this podcast, we have so many different people from so many different backgrounds and there's no right path. So like if you people want to go to if people think, feel that they would get more out of university than not going and straight into work or something, that's also valid. Like so it doesn't really matter. It's, it's all about what works for the individual and what you get out of it and stuff. But like, yeah, it's if I suppose what you're what you're saying about like the circus, like there, like I just wondered something I was reading in one of the interviews you gave to a newspaper or something was about how like circus is perceived by the public and about how you kind of want to change how it's perceived so i just wondered if you'd be able to sort of expand on that for us yeah i could try i could talk for hours about i guess but i think i guess i could start with what i think circus could do as an essence of it and then kind of explain what i think the perception of it is and what personally i would like to see it kind of be able to do more i think circus as an art form has this universality to it which is yeah this universality which is really key to why it still exists and why it has kind of thrived through everything and anything is that it's just a very accessible thing i mean you are just someone on stage showing people some stuff which i think is really 
sounds a bit silly but it's just really beautiful and there's no there's no way to hide in the circus i mean you are you can't really play a character while you're doing a double backflip or you're juggling five clubs or whatever it is when you're at that sort of peak moment of like physical exertion or the very kind of top of your ability you can't hide there is nothing but you there in that moment on stage and i think that that level of humanity is what the essence of circus is all about i think that you can kind of define circus as the technique so by technique i mean like the tricks and skills and the person doing the technique and to really embrace those two things as the basis of it just gives you such a broad range and like ability to kind of explore so many different facets and avenues i think the public perception of circus is still probably like you know red nosed clowns and ringmasters and animals and all of those things you know still exist and it's still a thriving part of the industry and it's great that people are the people who want to do that are able to do that but i guess what we are trying to do is go okay let's take the essence of why those things exist and bring that into now. So I think like, for example, animals kind of came into the circus when animals were such a part of our daily lives. And, you know, it was horse-drawn carriages. And I mean, you know, you saw like animals were how we moved things and how we transported ourselves and such a key part of society and civilization. And so then being brought into the circus and be and showing sort of humanity's understanding of animals and our ability to work with them. I think that's what really drew crowds in at that point. And then that kind of stayed with the circus for a long time and became part of the circus while it, society kind of left it behind and moved on to things like cars and, uh, you know, helicopters and mobile phones. And I think that what we're trying to do is to embrace the same thing of humans understanding and relationship with the things that drive society and keep society moving and a part of all our daily lives and bring that more into the 21st century if that makes sense i don't know if it does no it definitely does really interesting actually it's really interesting and i suppose like there is like a as you say like the perception of clowns and stuff and like not and i think something else you said was like how you view everyone you work with in your circus as like an artist and not just a performer and how that like adds a kind of depth to to like what you're making and i just found that really interesting the way you, the way that you said that yeah i i think Personally, it's really important in the in the creation space to be working with the artists and not performers. I guess it's like everyone's got their own definition for these two things. But for me, it kind of comes from, again, from being in France for a long time. In French, you have like artiste and interprète and like so interpreter and artist when you're making work. And so an interpreter is literally just taking the director's vision and putting that on stage and you know I've done I've done shows as a performer before where the director has told me like when to breathe and exactly what my eyes should be doing and how my feet should be moving you know very very detailed which is can be a really great way of working I mean some of the shows that I've done where I have just been a performer have been great and the you know this director's vision that they have so clearly and uh, you know we've been able to kind of lift that up and present something really beautiful but that's just not how I work. I think I don't have a clear enough vision or enough intelligence to make that happen. And I think that working with someone who is an artist who has their own creative voice and can bring what they want to see onto stage is personally how I work. I try to never make anything where the person doing the thing on stage 
doesn't want to be doing the thing on stage. I think every artist that I work with in every show, in every project, they need to want to be doing what they're doing on stage and they need to know why they're doing it. And once you kind of click into those th two things, everything else just kind of arrives and it's magic. It's really amazing. I work by sort of, I write a whole show and then I present it to the performing company and talk them through all of the bits and then sort of have individual chats with each of the artists about what I've written for them. And I generally write with a specific artist in mind while I'm sort of creating the work. And then often we'll talk and they'll be like, nah, the story I like, it doesn't connect with me. I don't feel that. And then, so then it's, it's a really interesting process because you kind of go back to the basis of like, okay, why, why did I write this? What's the essence? What's the dramaturgical push for this piece? And to have a conversation with the artists about that and try different things. And the show is always better for it, basically. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting actually, and and like I suppose it's all about like it depends on the show as well, and it depends on who you're working with. But like I've, I just think having that freedom and giving everyone their own sort of say as well. Personally, the way I would work is I think that would work better for me just to have a bit more collaboration, a bit more input. But I suppose as well, like another question is just like how did sort of how did the Rebel Puck sort of come around? How did that? How did you sort of make? this circus like was that, did you graduate and then want to form this was this already like a sort of thing with, that you joined or did you like sort of build this from the ground up yeah oh good question i've always wanted to make my own work i've always wanted to, to to direct my own shows and really felt that sort of drive to do that really ever since seeing jerusalem it was just like i felt like i wanted to be making shows and <laughs> no one would employ me to direct their show so you kind of have to had to had to make it make it happen myself so yeah i think it came out of yeah my first desire was was really to make shows and then it also felt like there was this real gap in circus that i really like why doesn't this exist you know there's sort of one company that is creating tented touring shows in a sort of contemporary or new circus style which is called no fit state circus and they're from Cardiff. So after graduating, I joined their company. So I auditioned for their show and I toured with them for three years. And during that time, I basically got some friends together and you know, we sort of all had a similar vision of like this nomadic lifestyle and wanting circus to exist sort of not in a traditional setting, but also not to try and be in a sort of theater setting or in a dance venue setting, but to exist as its own thing and to really embrace the essence of circus. And we were in Newcastle under Lyme, which is in Stoke-on-Trent, making the show with No Fit State. And they've got like a really big tent and then they have their little old tent, which is like 30 years old. And they had it up for that stand as like a rehearsal space. And one night I was sitting with the boss of No Fit State and we were drinking tequila. And I just, I said, hey man, I want, I want that tent. What are you doing with it after? And he said, oh, you can have it. It's, yeah, it's all, it's all ripped. Blah, blah, blah. And I took that quite seriously and I don't think he did, <laughs> but we sort of arranged a meeting with him and then No Fit State really supported us. And, you know, I think Tom, who's the artistic director of No Fit State, I just got to thank him, you know, a lot, basically. He saw that we had this drive and this passion to do it. And so we were there, an associate company with them, and they lent us their tent for, for a few years and really, you know, gave us a lot of support. And it was really learning, you know, learning as you go. I mean, writing a budget, how to produce a show, like, yeah, the level of risk assessment and detail you need to go into, the TENS license, you know, relationships with the council, how you ensure that you don't damage a local park when you go there 
there, how you need to scan the ground so you're not going to put any like stakes or pins into and hit a gas main line, which is quite terrifying. And so, yeah, they, they supported us. And then the pandemic hit and we had like a big national tour cancelled. Well, not big. We had a relatively small national tour cancelled. And then just over the past year, we've just been really pushing to try and kind of grow. We got another tent and are now touring in that. So we gave no fits ones back. And now we're now we're here 18 months after doing doing our new show amazing and i love the idea that you have you like you need to get the tent as well i think that like it acts as like this sort of symbol that you you're also ready it's like we have a tent now do you know what i mean it, i love that <laughs> <laughs> no it's just really interesting and like and and i suppose like the pandemic is it's been a, a nightmare to everyone but like it's good that you didn't use didn't just despair and like you kept working and stuff and i know you did a documentary in that time as well like a mock a mockumentary i should say yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a mockumentary, a little web series called Don't Join the Circus, which was really fun to make. I mean, it was a bit mental and like a bunch of circus people who have never really held a camera before trying to work out how to do all of this. But uh, our mate's dad came in who works in film a bit and sort of showed us the ropes. And then, yeah, made a mockumentary called Don't Join the Circus, which is looking at like why people shouldn't join the circus and i guess that was kind of part of making that is this sort of wanting to change people's perception of circus slightly and go look this is kind of what it is now it's like very much on the fringe but it's just a bunch of people trying to make shows happen in tents and you know we're still touring in caravans and we're still still embracing all of that history but actually you know there's there's a whole world behind it so yeah, yeah, we, we're hoping to do more of the mockumentary and to kind of make it into a bit of a bigger thing. Because uh, uh, yeah, I, it was fun to do and I, I think it's got legs. Yeah, it's definitely like a good little idea as well. It's a good name as well. So yeah, definitely hold, hold on. Because I think, as you say, like circus is like very popular in this country and like historically, and there's mm. definitely like something in that. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. So do you think that circus is, um, just to come back on an earlier question, just a bit, go to a bit of a tangent here, but do you think that like circus is respected in the same way theatre is respected in this country or do you think it's looked down upon? Uh, I guess you'd need to define what respect is in terms of and who, and, and who you want to see the work. I guess 
it's certainly not seen in the same light as the theatre is. I mean, you know, you can kind of just... I think that that's that's fairly obvious to a lot of people, but I think circus does just have quite a public image problem, essentially, and maybe it's not a problem. I'm sure for a lot of the tented touring shows, and the, you know, to be honest, the majority of the industry are quite happy with where circus sits. I mean, Circus Extreme has a three thousand seater tent that they tour across the UK, and they're filling it out. So I think if you ask them, they'd say, no, 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 there's you know, no, no problem, but. I guess for what we're trying to do, it's, it is trying to update the public perception of it a bit more and to have Circus still stand alone in its own right. I don't know how, maybe this is interesting, tell me if it's really not, but in terms of Circus, like the pathway of Circus, you can kind of define it in three strands over its sort of evolution over the past 250 years so you have like classical circus traditional circus which is what i think most people think of when they hear circus and they're you know it's animals and ringmasters and red lapels and red nosed clowns and then you have the new circus movement which no fit state were a big part of and companies like archaos i mean archaos were really sort of in europe especially the sort of the people who really pushed this new circus image out and you know were incredibly successful with it and new circus is sort of embracing all of the traditional sides a lot of the traditions of circus so still touring in big tops or outdoors still presenting it in a sort of circus format but to try and explore the human condition as well as a presentation of skill dexterity and humans understanding over nature i guess and then you kind of move into this there's this sort of period that comes in and that is still i guess we're still in to a degree which is the sort of contemporary circus movement where circus started to try to go much more into theaters and into dance venues and to sort of have a lot more cross collaboration or i guess more overt cross collaboration i think uh, between different art forms i think cross collaboration has always been there and it's just maybe not put in the publicity material as much as it is now and so yeah i think contemporary circus this movement towards trying to be a bit more like in inverted commas like high art and to be trying to kind of tap into those venues and those networks and that it's done amazing things for circus the the contemporary movement and there are some amazing companies like uh gandini juggling or one who have just really changed a lot of people's perceptions in those areas of what circus is but I think for us and what we're trying to do, I guess you could kind of call it more new circus in the sense that we are trying to exist in a circus setting and we are trying to exist in big tops and outside in public spaces and to embrace that whilst still embracing this exploration of the human condition. And I don't think that, I think to make work that is accessible and has, has universal appeal doesn't mean that you need to sacrifice dramaturgical integrity which I think is the fear for a lot of people when they're making work or when they're trying to sort of get circus taken, again, in inverted commas, like more seriously. And so I do think, yeah, I guess we are trying to bring the people's image of circus into a new space. And I guess you could define that as them. I don't know if you could define it as them respecting it more, but I think to, for them to see it differently. Yeah. 
That was an amazing answer. Don't worry, that wasn't boring at all. Really interesting (laughs) to me, at least. And just to sort of quickly rephrase how I said that question, because I think a lot of people listening to it will be like, well, we don't feel like we're maybe, you know, when I said that, I just sort of meant by the general public, because, you know, people see, you know, will see like theatre and go, oh, yeah, like that. They maybe say that with other players are, but is the circus just entertainment? And that's kind of what I was getting at there. I wasn't saying that I thought that at all. That's kind of, I don't know if that makes sense either, but it's kind of what I meant. But I think you answered it very well. So that's good. Um, and I suppose just to quickly touch on as well, like what is your sort of current show about? Like the Wing Scuffle Spectacular. Have I said that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a silly name. It's, it's it? a mouthful. A bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a bit long. Bit long. <laughs> it's uh, good. <laughs> the Wing Scuffle Spectacular is the second show in our Risk Triptych. Uh, so we're exploring the idea of risk across three shows. Uh, so the first show we made was called The Big Bagaga Show, which was a celebration of failure. And now The Wing Scuffle Spectacular is a celebration of fear. And the next show will be a celebration of trust, which are sort of all kind of key elements of what risk gives to us as people. And the work really came out of this want to show how close what the circus is and the essence of circus the technique and the people doing the technique is to society and how you know failure is something that we have to celebrate in circus fear is something that we have to confront and embrace and be a part of and trust is integral to all of it and i think that those three things are also really important for society and really integral to the human condition however we do try and shy away from it a lot i mean i think you know failure and fear especially are two things that we kind of consider to be quite bad but actually you can never learn if you don't fail you can never progress in anything if you don't mess it up a load of times before you actually get to it and then fear as well I mean I think especially obviously this these past 18 months with the pandemic has really shown us actually how fear can really bring us together I mean I just think there's been so many beautiful moments of an expression of joy within the human condition I know you know it annoyed me how much Boris jumped on the bandwagon of the clap for carers uh, every Thursday but just I mean seeing everyone coming out and just wanting to celebrate these people that were working so hard to save lives I think is just is beautiful you know very like nice at the start especially like there's something really uplifting about all that yeah and so I think that fear is is really important for us and fear is what drives us to form relationships and to you know find life partners and to go for a new job that we might not have gone for if we didn't have people around us to push us so again it's that embracing the sort of community spirit that pushes through fear and so we're really trying to celebrate it it exists in a sort of circus in the universe of the show is a circus so everyone the audience comes through the gates and we have all of our living vehicles and caravans in a circle in front of the tent so we try and give the audience an opportunity to see the life of a circus rather than sort of hiding it away they can peek into windows of caravans meet an artist while they're making a cup of tea or doing their makeup just before the show and then they come into the circus tent and yeah i think it's i think it's important for people to meet the artist before they see them on stage it's something that really humanizes them and i mean we've got you know quite there's like 20 people uh, on tour but nine of us in the show and so you're the audience 
audience aren't quite sure who who's going to be on stage and who's not so you know the person the person selling you popcorn one second is going to be flying off flying off into the air another second so that's kind of the universe it exists in and then the show we try and explore fear in like a lot non-linear narrative format but rather sort of each number and each moment explores fear in a different way so we look at sort of how fear can be a really fun thing especially for sort of you know um, circus people we do enjoy fear and i think anyone in the arts or anyone who enjoys being on stage can relate to that perhaps you know you like you wouldn't be doing this stupid thing if you didn't sort of enjoy that slight push of adrenaline and then we also i guess in the sort of a macro dramaturgical sense the performing company and the whole company have this fear of like if we don't make the show good we won't sell tickets and people won't come and we won't be able to keep doing it and that kind of feeds into the whole thing of us trying to make i don't know if this will make sense but trying to make the show we think that the public want to see so like ah oh, yeah they think that a circus show should have animals in it so oh we can't we can't get we don't want animals we can't get it so what should we do so uh let's tape this soft toy lion to a remote control car and have that driving around the stage annoying the acrobats and oh they think we should have a clown but uh, the only person who wants to be a clown is also terrified of clowns and terrified of everything in general so yeah we have this clown character throughout the show who's just really scared all the time so i think we're also trying to embrace those public perceptions of circus and to sort of slightly laugh with the audience about them and I guess my hope in that is that maybe that helps people to see that circus is an art form that doesn't need to take itself too seriously can laugh at itself but can also explore things that are really important to individuals you know and that yeah I think that we try and by embracing the humanity within the artists and within the show the hope is that people can see moments of their lives within that and moments that really relate to them and when they've set, felt a sense of fear and how they've managed to overcome that or get through it yeah that that's this show sounds great are you going to be touring this show uh, we hope so, yeah. I mean, this year we you know, started off with a big tour planned and then it slowly got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we just really focused on being in, in East London. I mean, we were here, we're in Waltham Forest uh, in East London and we were here in 2019 as part of London Borough of Culture. And that was really a launch pad for the company. And we you know, are forever grateful to Waltham Forest Council for giving a young comp company that opp opportunity. And then for them to have us back is amazing. It's great to be with the local community again and to have all these people going, we just came to the, see the show two years ago, can't wait again. Yeah, and we've got the Waltham Forest Youth Circus in as well, using the space for workshops, which is great to see the kids in first time they're in a circus tent. And we're putting on a show with the Waltham Forest Youth Circus on Sunday after ours. So we're going to do our show close and then Waltham Forest Youth Circus is going to put on a show after it, which I think is just, I mean, makes me really, really happy that we're able to give kids the opportunities that I was given as a kid and that so many of the cast were given as kids. But touring, yes, we will tour. We hope so. If you know any bookers who would like a show, send them my way. So that's great about touring, how you'd like been able to involve like uh, the youth circus in that as well. And I hope you can go into it because if you ever make up to Scotland or a bit closer, I definitely would love to come and see this. It sounds great. Oh, nice one. Yeah, we'd love to come to Scotland. It'd be fun. Yeah, we'll see. See see how it goes. We hope to tour this show. But obviously, you know, we feel like we're emerging from the pandemic. Maybe not. We're just going to keep going, keep trying, keep pushing to go to communities and to show our work and invite the public in. Yeah. 
Well, that's all you can really do. But just to sort of quickly go, you were talking about failure a minute ago and it, through the circus stuff. And one of the questions we ask, which is really important is, um, what, what's your biggest failure as a creative this far? And like what sort of, just so people can hear and like how you, because we all learn from failure. So like, is there like something you've done that you regret or that you would do differently? A lot. I mean, like, to be honest with you, this is the, this is the eighth company I've tried to start. Yeah. You know, and each one has, I mean, you know, I say fail in, in kind of a good way. I mean, each one has every you know, each one has closed amicably, but just because it, it wasn't working. And at each time I've learned from it and sort of learned how I want to operate. Sometimes things aren't the right time. Something sometimes aren't the right place. You know, I mean, we had I had sort of formed various collectives where we all had same same level of input into the show and into the work. But it's that's an amazing way of working if people are really committed and if you have time but I just sort of found that personally that wasn't really working for me I mean people get other jobs and then can't commit as much time to the collective and then other people start to take up a lot more of the workloads so yeah I mean I've constantly been failing basically throughout my career it's the only way that I've gotten to be able to do what I'm doing now which I feel yeah crazy fortunate to be able to do I guess the biggest failure that we had recently was uh not renting enough toilets we only rented one toilet and then very quickly realized that wasn't enough for 20 people and so quickly called the called the company up and hire company was like ah we need another toilet so yeah i feel like <laughs> i feel like failure is a bit less evident for me in creating work however failure when you're producing work is very stark and very crystal clear and when you haven't made a budget add up or you haven't booked in another toilet or an artist travel it's pretty stark that you've got something wrong so i think there's always discrepancy and failure in sort of the purely making creative side of things but the side of things of making that be able to happen um, logistics yeah yeah i mean you know the producing it's a it's a huge a huge undertaking absolutely we all learn from it and that's important mm. and that's why we like to acknowledge it on the podcast but the the question which of course the podcast is named after but like we always ask everyone that comes on like what's the worst part-time job you'd ever had to work to support your art or the worst quote real job you'd ever had to work you don't have to name the company <laughs> uh, I worked at a toy shop for a bit, which I thought would be quite fun, but was just like a nightmare. I'm not going to lie. I, th I think it might have been, I don't know, some sort of front for something else. The owner was never there and we never sold any toys and they were all priced really weirdly. And yeah, it was sort of just like standing. It was in Hampstead as well, which is quite like a posh part of London. And so sort of standing there with all these people coming in. And I mean, yeah, that was pretty dire. Other than that, I mean... Like, you know, there's a lot of touring a circus and like doing what we do. There's a lot of jobs that are probably I'd rather not do, you know, cleaning out the toilets after 400 people have used them, having to push the bins two kilometers away because the only road that the bin lorry can get to is there. Yeah, there's a lot of like less glamorous sides of what we do, but we love it and it's all part of it and it's all, you know. 100%, yeah dollar to work jobs we don't like mm -hmm. to support ourselves in this industry that's why we ask this question it's always it just makes people feel better and gives people something to sort of laugh about um <laughs> but the last question of the podcast that we like to ask and you've given some great advice for it but sort of just if you could summarize what your sort of advice would be to anyone who maybe wants to work in the arts in general but particularly sort of wants to work in circus and like as a creative creating circus for sure i guess the one thing that i think's 
been really really important to me is learning as much as you can about the whole landscape of the industry i think particularly coming from like circus schools that's that's a lot about the performing side of things you know you it's really important to know about producing and to understand what a budget is and to understand sort of you know the the basics of lighting and sound and booking and you don't you don't have to be an expert in it at all but i think the humility that a slight understanding of it will give to you as a creative will number one make you very employable because it's going to be those people who make the decision on whether you're employed or not and number two will make your life more enjoyable because you will understand a lot more about the the whole landscape of the space you're working in if you want to be making your own work in circus my advice would be to learn about producing learn how to make your own work and at some point to not be afraid to make decisions you know i think you have to be quite decisive and to say okay i'm not going to make a lot of money and i am going to have to work in a coffee shop or in a toy shop or cleaning toilets or whatever it is i am going to have to do that if my goal is to make my own work because there's just there's you know there's not the space and the money for 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 us to be able to do that and to support ourselves especially not in the first sort of you know three to five years of it which sounds like a long time but uh you get used to it so yeah i guess that be yeah humility yeah work hard and be nice to people is always a good one yeah those ones are key like you nailed it yeah brilliant advice but look thank you very very much for your time i really appreciate how patient you've been at the internet line for us has been not been the best but i think we'd managed to get through it and hopefully we were able to cobble this together (laughs) yeah thank you jv uh i hope i hope they were those answers were good and yeah it was really interesting to learn about the world of circus and i definitely will try and hopefully one day be able to see the see the circus you're making in, in real life but who knows uh, amazing yes hope to have you along definitely so there you go that was my conversation with luke from the rebel puck circus company i really really enjoyed this conversation it was really interesting to learn about the world of circus and, and to learn about luke's experiences in it and how he got there it was a really really fun one to record so thank you to luke again and i'm glad this episode has finally come out after so long and as always as well if you have been enjoying the podcast if this is your first time listening to it as well please be sure to tell friends and family to listen please be sure to share this podcast we are an independent podcast you know it's hard for us to find new listeners without spending lots and lots of money on advertising and stuff so word of mouth it really is key for us and as well if you're enjoying it you can leave us a five-star review there's a new option on spotify now you can leave us a five-star review there you can leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you get podcasts because that really really helps boost us up and helps us to be seen by potential new listeners and lastly as well if you can afford to donate as little as a pound a month to our patreon page that really really helps us to fund this podcast and to make it the best podcast it can be and you can donate by clicking on the link in the show notes to our Patreon page and anything you can afford to donate is very, very much appreciated. I'm a bit rusty doing this outro. It's been a few weeks. Um, They can tell this is the first one back of the year, to be honest. I'm babbling on like... And remember as well, if you want to find out a bit more about Luke and this week's guest, there's links to his work in the show notes as well. But anyway, we'll be back again next week with another brilliant episode of Just Get A Real Job. I'm going to be more on it with the intros and outros next week as well, hopefully. As I say, I'm warming up. Anyway, wherever you are in the world, hope you're well and hope you have a lovely week. Just get a real